Hello, my name is Ben Randall. Still, that hasn't changed. A lot of other things have changed since I've last spoken to you on this podcast. But no, my name is my name is still Ben Randall. That's still a thing. I still have that really curly, frizzy kind of afro hair going on, much to my mom's dismay, of course. Uh, except now I have this weird kind of furry thing that hangs around my face. It's not like a squirrel or anything. It just kind of clings to my jaw, my neck, and my chin. It's pretty weird. Sometimes it itches. I've been calling it my like coronavirus fur, but other people probably know it better just as a beard. It's a beard. It's just a beard. But other than the beard, I've been about status quo, as you can be. I'm currently coming to you from my university in Colorado State uh, underneath a blanket recording in my closet because technical difficulties with my microphone that I usually use, plus not being able to check out technology from my university that I'm paying thousands of dollars for, here I am recording to you from under a wool blanket in my college dorm closet. But yeah, I'm about status quo, just living as as much as status quo can be when you're living in a pandemic, that is. But this is more about more. This is episode two of season two, and this is the show where I tell you more things you may want to know more about, more things you may not want to know more about, and certainly a lot of things you had no clue you could even know more about. Today I'm going to talk about adventure journalism and kind of what that is, what that is in society, what it means to me. But before we really get into that, I'd I'd love to do just a short little update since I've last spoken to you. Um, Just kind of talk about how the world has been, how life has been. It's, uh, It's November, November 2020. It's almost that time of the year where we're all going to get together. We're all going to eat food. Oh, sweet, sweet food. There's a deeper meaning to some of us. There's religion that plays into it for others. And and some of the lucky few of us, once we get into this holiday season, some people even get presents. Isn't that great? Those wrapped boxes that have cool colors and bows and all that great stuff. But... Come on now, let's be real. I mean, you and I, you and I both have been awaiting the day where we can sit down and post a picture of our of our holiday meals on social media. Isn't that just the best? That way everyone, everyone can know that we're all eating on the same day. Isn't that crazy? What if that happened every day? What if everybody actually ate food every single day and posted about it on social media? Oh, wait, I think, I think we do do that. But it's still great because you take a picture of your plate with the turkey, with the gravy, the mashed potatoes, all that. And, and yeah, and your neighbors are like, oh, Jenny, Jenny and Robert down the block. They're also celebrating Thanksgiving this year, honey. Holy shit. Let's post a picture of our overdone turkey too. And maybe we'll get some likes. It's great. Social media is great. Of course, all of this is going to look super different this year, this holiday season, I mean. Lots of families are going to opt to stay in and avoid spreading the novel coronavirus to their loved ones for good reason. It's it's kind of a tough ethical dilemma, though. I mean, choosing between seeing our families that some of us haven't even seen much of this whole year and enjoying this kind of sacred time with them, I mean, that's a big thing. That's nice. But on the other side, I mean, trying to just stay in our homes and and stop the spread, it's 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 a fair it's a fair dilemma. I can't fault you either way. Um, but I will admit that kind of adding in this element of virtuality, like like a Zoom or Teams, to these get-togethers, to the holiday season, I think I think that could be fun as hell. Like imagine imagine you're sitting down with your nuclear family, like you're your mom, dad, brothers, sisters, whatever, everybody that has kind of been exposed already to one another. 
imagine sitting around with that family at the dinner table on like, say you're celebrating Thanksgiving and you have iPads or tablets or whatever kind of set up around on each chair for the other sets of family members. And I don't know, in this hypothetical Thanksgiving, maybe we're giving great granny control over like muting privileges of the Zoom out of seniority, of course. And we could just sit back and watch as the stepfathers, the aunts, the uncles all get into heated arguments, only to be silenced by all-powerful granny with her muting privileges. Because let's be real, I mean, if there's ever a year where family members were going to dispute the results of something, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, this is, this is the year. Stop the count, Greg. He won it. He won the election, fair and square. How can you not understand? Shut up, Larry. You're just a sore loser. Put your mask back on. You're scaring the kids. Then zilch. Granny exercises her dictator rights and silences everyone. Pretty fucking awesome, Granny. Honestly, I mean, it's... I don't know that something like that would actually happen, but I'm hoping some families kind of play into the virtual fun that we can do this year um maybe zoom politics might have to be something we incorporate at holidays going forward after this is over i don't know but regardless be safe this holiday season please keep keep wearing your mask keep washing your hands all the little things uh we just we want to go towards stopping the spread because things are they're kind of looking like they're only going to get worse before they get better unfortunately So let's just all stay diligent and hopefully we can have an uneventful holiday season um, and spend as much time with loved ones as we can. But please just just be safe. Now to get into kind of the adventure journalism aspect of things. So today I'm, I'm sitting down with Morgan Tilton and Jamie Moy. Well, not today. I mean, you know, being a journalist is different now. Voice memos and Skype are like my best friends followed by coffee um, and more coffee. But uh, I sat down with them in the past couple of weeks virtually and just kind of got their take on on this career. These, these two are, they're members of a career that I've been interested in ever since I really began my entrance into endurance sports with triathlon and running and also kind of multimedia journalism in my first year at CSU. And so, yeah, I've, I've called the industry adventure journalism. There's a lot of other names for it, like outdoor travel, outdoor adventure, storytelling from a worldly perspective. You can call it whatever you like. Just listen along. I'm kind of highlighting portions of both calls, break down some of the information they shared and the tips they gave to not only start off in a career in adventure journalism, but really try to picture what my potential could be within storytelling and within athletics and kind of figuring out what type of career works best for me. To briefly talk a little bit more of this big, like, lofty term I keep throwing around of adventure journalism, it might be better pictured and better described as like a business stream rather than an actual industry. It's, it's sort of a hybrid between that glamorous world-traveled travel writer with her perfect Instagram aesthetics, if I can quickly stereotype. Um, it's kind of like a, it's a hybrid of that with athletic elements thrown in. So say Nordic skiing is your thing, and you also really like storytelling. Then you can kind of become this sort of niche Nordic skiing journalist that is able to shred on the slopes and is able to travel across the world because of your athletic discipline and collect stories while you're at it. For me, before talking about these calls that I had with Jamie and Morgan, I thought that this is kind of throwing together my background as a runner, as a triathlete, and as just a Colorado boy, like this this hiker, adventurer with writing. Uh, This can really be as much or as little as I want it to be, I'm kind of figuring out. I just have really wanted to find a platform to continue doing what I love with writing and continue sharing these stories 
while also being able to see the world and keep up with my athletic disciplines. That's my brief overview <laughs> of this industry, this business. And I'll get into my chat with Morgan. First off, when we spoke, it was a it was a Skype call, which was nice because you can kind of get a better sense of a person when you get to see them um, virtually, albeit, but blonde-haired, wide-eyed. She's She's kind of got one of those smiles that you just don't forget. As pure as a kid picking out candy at a candy store, or I guess a kid ordering candy from Amazon and getting another door with contactless delivery. Whatever. COVID. She's an award-winning journalist uh, across a host of disciplines. Uh, but to be honest, she's best described as just an outdoors woman. Uh, she fuels her writing through fun-loving adventure. She's based out of Crested Butte, Colorado, if you're familiar. And she's wrote news, narratives, and altogether outdoor stories for so many companies. I shit you not, when you Google her name, you're going to get some of the biggest outdoors brands with biography pages for like REI, Outside, Backpackers, Trail Runner Magazine, all of these big publications. She's, she's on top of it. And of course, on top of everything else, she's just a lovely person. Other, other than her drive and passion for her own business, I, I really got the sense that she wanted to help me. She wanted to push me to figure out, okay, like, Ben, your career isn't going to look like mine, but you need to start to figure out what you want it to look like and how it can get there. And for that, I, I couldn't be more grateful. service to you? How can I help? What questions do you have for me? I'm just really interested in kind of how you got started because I saw that you maybe you're 18 years old when you first kind of stuck your feet into the, that type of career. Yeah. And I would say the steps that I took to start my business started even before that. And I really think about my, in my perspective, in growing a business and growing my writing experience, I think about the mosaic of the pieces and how each piece builds to this greater picture. So it sounds like you're starting to start your own, you're, you're starting to venture down your own pieces of your own mosaic with writing currently. Um, so for me, how I in my perspective, how I got started before I actually launched my business in 2013, the summer of 2013. So during my four years at undergrad, I started looking for internships because that was a really great way for me to grow my clips, my experience, my portfolio. And as I would find out my network and my relationships that would later become long-standing relationships that I continue to have to this day. So now individuals, editors, publications that I've worked with for a decade. So I don't work with every publication or entity that I did an internship with. Hmm. However, the ones, there are a handful that I continue to work with. So I did four internships while I was in college. And then I did a fifth one after I graduated out of those five, two of them were paid. So it was rare at the time that you could find compensation for that work. And it was a huge benefit to me to have yeah. income. However, I was willing to do the work with the perspective that it would pay back in dividends later because 
in this career path, you need to gain real life experience and a byline in order to land projects, contract projects, or a full-time position as a writer. So there is this period of time where you may have to give your time uh, while you're a student. Mm -hmm. And then there's this transition that happens where um, when you're not no longer a student, um, it's really, it is really important to make sure that you're being paid for all of the work that you do when you're not in that internship position. Uh, it is important to advocate for yourself and to not be, um, to not be working for free, which is not good for you or the entire ecosystem of, of writers. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point being that there there was value in doing a handful of those internships when I was learning how to be a journalist. Um, so I really think that was a huge stepping stone for me. And then um, thankfully and um, gr- gratefully, the last internship I did when I was, the, so the fifth one, when I was out of college, it was paid and it was part-time. And that wasn't a huge amount of income, but it was valuable that it was consistent. So while I was building my network and pitching to other locations to be a writer, that um, in the other half of my week that I was able to, to grow a lot of experience. I had a lot of mentorship, a lot of guidance with that in-house team. And, um, and the more practice that I got, the, the better I became as a writer. So it, you know, it wasn't a, a huge amount of money, but it was something to start. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about money, the first year that I was con- doing contract work, so I actually don't think it was a full 12 months, but when I graduated college to the end of December, so it was at least eight months, I billed only, it was less than $9,000. Holy shit. But it was definitely penny pinching. It was about discipline and a lifestyle shift, you know, not going out to eat or concerts as much because I wanted to set up my own business with the goal in mind and with the foresight that I wanted to be able to live anywhere and control and choose what type of writing I wanted to do, have the flexibility of building my own schedule, all of those compromises you make, um, or the trade-offs that you make when you're, when you have your own business versus working in house. So at first it was hard, but it's also very gratifying, especially if it serves you and your purpose and your goals as a, a writer. Um, does that all help give you some insight? That's, I mean, that's a really interesting perspective just on saving now so that when, if you want to have your own business opposed to being someone who works for just one company, like just the North face or just Patagonia or something like that, um, you're going to need to to have that kind of income um, so you can take those business steps, kind of like what you're talking about. But mm-hmm. um, I just want to jump a little bit here and talk about yeah. like the, just the name, like adventure journalist. That's, that's kind of what I've been calling it. Is that more mm-hmm. or less the professional way to phrase that, I guess? It's, this is a very small yeah. subgroup within writers, within independent writers. And the language has absolutely been evolving as language does. And that is influenced by our society and stigmatization. So for example, myself and a few other journalists who focus in the space that I'm focused in. So outdoor industry news and adventure travel, what one thread that we each I think agree on, and we haven't officially sat down and had a meeting about this, <laughs> but we all recognize that this is a business and that we are contract workers and we are treating our writing like a business. We're registered LLC and we do all the managerial side 
pieces of the business in addition to writing. So that is a bit of um, an evolution that I've personally witnessed, whereas seven years ago when I first started, it was co- most common and it still is very common for people to say freelancing. I'm a freelancer. Mm-hmm. I have a journalism degree. So for me, it just made sense to call myself an adventure journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no courses in existence that I've been able to find mm-hmm. called adventure journalism. And so I actually didn't find any mentors in my program that supported my dream. Mm-hmm. And I went after it anyways. Nice. Whereas now, yeah, fast forward 10 years and now contract work, uh, trans commuting, uh, the gig economy, all of these t- new terminology that exists is, has taken off, you know, a huge fraction of our population does this type of work now. So I think that there is more stability in understanding that that system. I feel like a lot of young adventure, young, like travel journalists have this idea of like, Oh yeah, I'm going to work for these super glorious publications like Shields or REI or, or the North face or something and travel across the United States or across the world and write stories and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. When in reality, that's like probably pretty challenging to get to that point. How has your interpretation of your dream to be an, an adventure journalist, how has that changed over time? Yeah, so a couple things that come to mind are it is a hard path. It's a lot of work. The work, the hard work doesn't stop. And I think <laughs> that if you're doing your dream jobs, chances are um, – that regardless of being in the writing field or being in another field, that that's true. You know, like if you're the, if you're a global yoga instructor, if you are a professional athlete, I mean, I just saw a professional skier, uh, ski mountaineer do a speech a couple days ago at Western and he talked about the hard work he does and he didn't harp on it, but it's very clear that like, if you are living your dream, it will take sweat equity to get there. And the hard work doesn't really stop. Um, it just evolves over time. That kind of makes sense. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like the, I feel like the odds are if you're doing something you love, it's not like you're going to really like halfway do something. You're going to continue to do hard work for like for yourself and for your reputation because you love it. Yeah. When I was 15, I did, I had my first international travel experience. Both of my parents are not huge travelers. They're not huge international travelers, but I had a really, um, unique experience living in a, I went to high school at a very rural, small school, and there were several presentations from a Rotary Club members actually who came in and spoke about an exchange program that they had experienced and when I learned from watching them that oh wow it's possible to travel to a new place through a program where you're giving back and you're learning and it's also very economic I'm interested in doing that and I found then there was one of my teachers when I was in high school, signed on to be a chaperone for what was called an, or what is called EF tours trip, which is educational travel programs for students. And I was able to, I was 15 at the time. So I was able to work and save up, I think it was a thousand dollars to travel to Italy and Greece for two and a half weeks and learned so much history that trip influenced the degree program I went into this university I chose and also when I came home from that I saw a travel magazine and I had always been a writer and I saw this travel magazine on my dad's table um on his centerpiece table in the living room and I realized I opened it up and started reading and I was like oh like this reminds me of all the journaling I was doing while I was traveling. And 
that's so cool that there are professional writers who go to a place, whether that's local in their country or in outside of their town or international, and they bring back the stories of the people and the place and the activities and share it with other readers so that more people can experience those wonderful things mm-hmm. and so that then the community benefits from those visitors. And this light bulb went on in my head. I mean, I knew nothing about like business or economics at 15 years old, but I just realized, oh, okay, like this is what I want to do. And so I got really attached to that image and I just was like, well, if I go into creative writing and journalism, I should get the skill sets, technical and creative to help me pursue writing travel pieces for magazines. And I've learned a lot of lessons since then. I'm 30 years old. So over the last 15 years, I've learned a lot of branches of the tree, but the actual essence of the dream I had and the dream I have today is the same. And it has met, it has, I wouldn't even call it manifestation because it's more like i focused on it and grew it over time. If you want to be a professional writer when you graduate college, you can do that. You're capable of that. And you may not know exactly how you will get there or where it will go, but you have to trust yourself and your intuition and trust that the path will fall and you can do it. And it's just, it's so hard to like, uh, kind of vocalize that because it is, it is going to be tough, like you said. Um, but I love that piece you said about just like, you have to trust yourself. Um, cause I think there's a lot that goes behind that. I definitely don't know everything right now that will entail going into a career like that or anything of that sort. But the like idea is there just like your idea got planted from, you know, literally like picking up a travel magazine being like, Hey, I sort of just did this. Yeah, it is. It is possible to have this career path. The work is available. There is so much need for writing across a spectrum of writing categories, styles, and there's plenty of work for you to create a business out of it. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for all the ideas and for talking with me today greatly appreciated to kind of pick your brain just on the industry yeah thanks a lot ben i really appreciate it thanks for reaching out of course have a good day you too take care Bye. bye next i continued my quest for figuring my shit out with uh, with Jamie Moy. Jamie, in her own right, is an amazing award-winning freelancer. She's been featured in National Geographic. Yeah, yeah, National Geographic. Pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, Outside Adventure Journal and many other travel and health-oriented magazines. She's done a series of Everest-based articles and she's even a co-author But what I loved most about talking with Jamie was her sense of realism combined with her passion to adventure. To some extent, you have to be a risk taker. You have to be that dauntless type of individual to be an adventure freelancer because the financial, the job security aspects of a job like this, they're they're pretty scary. There are no guarantees. Jamie has that sense of you know, just forthright, free exploration. But she's also met me with some realism and and giving me key tools to kind of integrate real tools, I guess, into my own tool belt of storytelling to kind of better arm me going forward as this dual athlete journalist sort of uh, machine. She's currently based out of British Columbia, um, And she was playing with her beloved dog throughout the call, which I just love. I think that's wholesome as fuck. I think one great, if I can kind of take a tangent real quick, one great thing of COVID is that 
now all of a sudden we're seeing all these stars and all these famous people uh, kind of like in their own personal world, like in their living rooms. Like on if you've ever seen like one of the SNLs of late, you would get to see like Pete Davidson just hanging out in his living room. And I just think that's the shit. So when you get to see people kind of in their natural element, like Jamie playing with her dog, I, I love that. I think that's uh that's a positive that COVID has, has brought forth because we all could use getting a little bit closer with one another. Anyway, Jamie in this call shares some of her tips, her advice and, and some of the pitfalls of her career in order to kind of steer me away and towards hopefully a successful future within this industry of my own. Hey, Jamie, how's it going? Good, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Thank you so much for for kind of meeting with me virtually today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, uh, I'll let you know, I'm wrangling a puppy right now. <laughs> I, uh, I broke down and, and did the pandemic puppy thing, and she's just turned three months yesterday, so I'm just kind of sitting on my front patio with her, letting her tromp around. We've got a, a fresh snow this morning, so. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I, I was talking with... Uh, Morgan Tilton a couple weeks back and she just kind of recommended you because I'm really uh, really kind of intrigued with the career of kind of travel adventure sort of journalism Um, and she pointed me in your direction and uh, obviously you both are pretty qualified (laughs) within this industry so I've kind of decided to uh, make a little kind of like a transmedia piece on just adventure journalism and, and what the industry is like and what it's kind of moving towards. Um, mm-hmm. and just talk really briefly about, um, your work or kind of your, your accolades of sort. <laughs> well, shit, I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> <laughs> no sweat. Um, all right, let me try. Hi, I'm Jamie Moy. I'm an adventure journalist. I That means I'm a writer for the most part, uh, writing for magazines and also brands in the outdoor industry. That's perfect. My work... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to keep going, you can. I was like, shit, do I need to say more? Where you like to talk about your accolades? I'm like, I don't know. I write for food. I will write for food. I will write for whoever will pay me. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> When did you kind of sit down and decide, like, okay, I want to go for this. I want to be an adventure journalist. Well, first of all, I'll start by saying I like to be the one asking the questions, Ben. So that's why I'm in the role I'm in. But I'm going to do my best here to be the one answering the question. <laughs> I didn't I didn't start in the traditional way. I didn't go to journalism school. Um, I actually majored in business management with a focus on computer information systems because when I was graduating university, um, tech was a really hot field in terms of the whole Y2K issue was was kind of looming. I graduated university in 1998, and so I was definitely taking that information systems focus. Um, Really just wanted to pay off my student loans and get established in the world, and I did not see writing as a viable career path at that point, and you can call it lack of imagination or just, you know, a naivete. I thought, well, I don't want to be an English teacher and I don't want to be a newspaper reporter, so what am I going to do with writing? So <laughs> that's kind of where I was at. But I was always a writer. You know, I was a, a, a chronic journaler. I was editor of the school newspaper. I wrote for the high school literary magazine. Um, so I was just a writer by nature. I accomplished my career goals in the tech industry pretty quickly. And those goals were not that inspiring. They were to pay off my student loans. And my other goal is I wanted to make six figures by the time I was 30. Mm. So as I got into my late 20s, and I think this is common for people in their late 20s, I just started reevaluating what what the heck am I doing with my life? I don't 
this isn't what I want to do long term. This was always kind of a short term thing. I had some financial goals around it. Um, so sort of looking for that next path. And the writing thing came up kind of serendipitously. I just, like a lot of people who aren't that into their jobs at the time, I developed really strong hobbies. And my, my big one was road bike racing. So I was racing on an amateur women's team in Colorado, and we were the top-ranked team, and I was a top-ranked rider at the amateur level. And as team captain, I was in charge of writing the team race reports. You know, like, lessons learned, how we executed our team strategy, what the conditions were, who showed up, blah, blah, blah. But I would write them narrative, and the, the team loved them, and they passed them around to their family and their friends and the other gals who rode as part of the club, not necessarily the competition team. And that led to me getting connected with Velo News, which is a, a cycling magazine published out of Boulder. They just happened to be in a pinch where they needed a woman to do some coverage for their upcoming gear guide, you know, like women's mountain bike gear reviews. This is also when women's specific gear was really coming into play. So we're talking like 2008 is probably the time frame here. So. Okay. I was like, yeah, I would, I would love to do that. And that's when it all sort of happened. It's just like the light bulb went off. I was like, wait a minute. People are going to pay me to write about stuff I would have written about anyways. <laughs> yeah. Like I was already doing this. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I would have done this for free. Don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> and when I got that check in the mail, yeah, it was just like ding, ding, ding. So I started looking into freelance magazine writing. Is this something that can be a viable career? And while it, it didn't seem quite as viable as tech, it, it looked like it would be doable. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Velo News, that's, I feel like that's a pretty like well-known publication now. Um, you're right. If, you know what? If you're in the, if you're in the realm that you and I are in, I mean, I raced triathlon for two years before I started road bike racing. Yeah, of course, everyone knows Velo News. If you live in Boulder, especially. But, you know, my family growing up in Ohio, they don't know Velo News. Sure. So I guess yeah. you could consider it more like, it's a niche publication, right? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe when I say start small, it's start, start small, like local publications, like Elevation Outdoors, and or, and or start niche. So something that, you don't have a lot of writing chops yet if you have expertise in that area and it's a niche in that area. Like I was captain of the top-ranked women's team in the state and the top-ranked female writer. So that kind of gives you some cloud at least to pitch your ideas. And yeah, my first three stories were for Velo News and it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that makes a whole lot of sense with just like you're going to seem really kind of desirable to those types of magazines especially like Velo News, if you're, like you said, you're the top ranked writer in the town. It's just, they're going to say, view that as a super like organic type of, uh, type of experience kind of as it was for you. So as to kind of the pitch aspect of it, I mean, I know you, you said you kind of like, it was kind of just like a figure it out along the way process, which I mean, I feel like all journalism is anymore. <laughs> But, um, what, what's, uh, something that you have to have like in a pitch or like kind of, I guess your subject line of a pitch, like what's the difference between something that gets opened and something that just gets sent to the junk drawer? Yeah. The first of all is just have the word pitch in it and I just put it in capital letters and then a colon in the title. And at the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want them to know I'm trying to sell them something. I want them to just open it. I'm like, no, that's totally the wrong approach. <laughs> think, think of how many emails come into an editor's inbox. And it's their job. Most publications now are, they're mostly freelance. It's their job to find the best new writers and to maintain their current stable of writers. And so they want to look at your pitch. So absolutely flag it as, as a pitch. And then title it like it's already a story in their magazine. So become familiar with the way they do their titles and basically mimic it. Hmm. So it might be, you know, the pitch. This was a pitch I did to outside years ago when I was trying to land an assignment to write about Afghanistan um, bike racing teams. It might be pitch. 
the world's most dangerous road bike ride cycling in Afghanistan. And then I go into my lead. So I basically write it like I'm writing the story itself. Yeah. You're really like catering to them. Yeah. The editor is your first reader. So if you can't hook them with your pitch, like you don't, you have no business trying to write a story. (laughs) So I look at it like that. I put a ton of effort in that pitch. I write an opening paragraph that has the hook and the lead, you know, the who, what, when, why, and where. And then the second paragraph is, is like my proposition. So I'll say, I propose, you know, an 800 word profile on so-and-so. And I, you know, then give kind of some of the nuts and bolts of, like where I'm traveling to or who I'm interviewing or, and then the, the last thing I include is why I'm the right person to write it. I kind of like the, the process, the, I guess the Jamie Moy process of the ping, the pitch, and then I guess the prey for your editors to, <laughs> to accept. The ping, the pitch, and the prey. <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes. Ping, pitch, and prey. I could write a book like that. <laughs> There you go. Kind of bouncing to a question I've been wondering for a while. Do you still find yourself as engaged athletically as as maybe you were when you first got into um, uh, this industry? Yeah, I see it. Uh-huh. You know, it's funny. My really strong passion for competitive athletics occurred at a time where I was really uninterested in my career. Hmm. So it's almost like when I set, when I got into the writing and, and realized how much more passion I had for freelance writing than I ever did for, for working in you know, big corporate tech, I, it was like all that passion kind of channeled towards my career and I stopped becoming interested in competitive endurance sports. Mm-hmm. I still love training and love being outside and love being fit and healthy and exploring the outdoors through human powered, you know, modes of transport, be it ski, paddle, bike, foot. But I I don't, yeah, my, my energy is not towards the competitive side. So right now the way it works is whatever story I'm really interested in pursuing, that's what sort of sport or activity I'm really interested in. Yeah. That's fascinating. Like, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I had, well, COVID changed everything, but before COVID came down, I had, like, my year, my 2020 set up regarding travel and opportunities. My big one was I was going to be bikepacking through um, some parts of the south side of Australia. Oh, wow. So, my, like, the way I was looking at, and that was going to happen in October, so I was looking at starting my training you know, in spring of 2020 to ramp up for bikepacking in Australia. So my focus was going to be bike pack, bike training. Um, I had a big, my big assignment in, when was it, January 2019 was I was going ski touring in a really remote place in Western China that was believed to be one of the potential birthplaces of skiing. Mm. And so I was hyper-focused, like, come fall of 2018 on getting that fitness level up to be able to do long days of skinning uphill, you know, ski mountaineering, basically. So that was my training focus. And, of course, as soon as 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 the snow started flying, it was was skiing, 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 skiing. And waking up at, like, 6 in the morning, going to my ski mountain before – things are open before the plows are even plowing and just skinning up the slopes. Wow. That kind of stuff. Just train training. So yeah, my, my sport is always tied into to writing and this this past summer and fall it's been sailing. Um, learning how to sail. We have a lake here and I've got um, I had a big sailing adventure first two weeks of September, that's the, the next feature story I'm working on. So this whole past summer has been about sailing and learning to transition from sailing on the lake to sailing on the ocean. Wow. That's, that's like, that. I mean, that sounds awesome. That's like extraordinary how you can kind of just, I guess, facet your whole like year of storytelling. Like you said, you had 2020 planned out just around these different like disciplines. That's yeah, that's pretty cool. 
I'm and I'm sure that's like undeniably healthy for not only like your, you know, physical and mental health, but just kind of your health as like a writer, because obviously you're going to get even more immersed into whatever it is you're writing about if you're engaging in it. Um, Yeah, this has been really kind of interesting and helpful, especially just with the whole kind of pitch aspect of it. I'm I uh, I have a really interesting opportunity this upcoming summer where I am fulfilling a Fulbright scholarship in in Ireland. Um, I guess fingers, thanks, fingers crossed. That's incredible. Fingers crossed (laughs) that COVID doesn't send us home. Um, Oh yeah. But because it was it was for this past summer, but uh, COVID kind of screwed with that. So we're we're on pace for this next summer, but more or less, it's within this this storytelling program where. Currently, I'm the only student enlisted in it because they only selected uh, very like a handful of kids, and they're kind of giving me an opportunity to um, at more or less pitch and more or less kind of say, "What do you want to do here?" Um, and I've never even been out of the country, but I I know that the scene of cycling is very like rampant and very big in in Northern Ireland. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm kind of putting together, I guess, the idea at least of a, of a pitch of sorts kind of to um, some local and maybe some bigger cycling magazines um, just about where I'm going to be, kind of what I do, what makes me reputable and kind of everything you've told me today um, to hopefully be able to write a story about just the scene of cycling in, in Northern Ireland. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of one of the questions you have to like, grapple with in your pitch is why write about this now? Bicycling in Northern Ireland is not a new thing. So what is it that's happening in the world right now? You know, whether it's Sinn Féin or Brexit or like, is there is there something, is there some reason to be writing about cycling in Northern Ireland right now, I guess? Yeah, that's, that's what you have to sort of come up with. And it can't be more than just, oh, because I'm, I have an opportunity to go there. Yeah, I guess it really just boils down to how much creativity you have and with, like, your kind of topic generation, yeah, and relevancy yeah, generation. Yeah, true. Yeah, how can you spin this in a way to make a magazine bite on it? That's yeah. really what it is. Yeah, I think that's – we've really hit on a lot of the things I've, I've wanted to talk about and I've gotten a lot out of this – this interview just kind of future oriented wise. And I think I'm, this is something I'm really excited to keep figuring out as to the whole kind of Fulbright thing and the industry itself. Yeah. I'll just, I'll be sure to, to keep in touch. Yeah. Sounds good. Really a best of luck to you, Ben. I, I wish you nothing but success. Thank you, Jamie. I'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. It's been great having the opportunity to reach out to these two fantastic women and both as people and as as journalists, as adventurers, and incredibly worthwhile. I, if I could encourage the audience and, and you, the listener, the ever important listener who is surely going to rate this podcast five stars and write a really nice review, aren't you, listener? I would encourage you to reach out to professionals that are in the career that that you're really lofting for, that you're that you're desiring to go into. And if not, maybe just reach out to some of your role models because you never know if they're going to get back to you or not. It, it really never hurts to ask. And these, in their own right, both of these journalists have super busy schedules and they're big name people, so. I knew that reaching out to them, you know, I, I didn't expect much, but both of them were able to put aside like 30 minutes to an hour of their days just to talk to a young prospective journalist. And and I couldn't be grateful enough. And so if I could tell you anything from this podcast, if you're going to take one thing away, I, w- I would say just don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to try because 
you never know what that might turn into. Some of my most profound takeaways from their advice is just that I, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm freakishly excited for this career. I feel so prepared from Jamie's comments about pitching a story and kind of the right way to formulate that and to get in with editors and then to talk with Morgan's aspects of kind of the business side of things and both how much work it is, but how rewarding it is. I'm, I'm floored and incredibly excited to start launching down this trail and, and yeah, and just getting started with my own career. My friends, thank you for tuning in today. This episode was more about adventure journalism and me, very egocentric, um, more so than my usual episodes. So I hope that you all still found something useful from this episode. If these disciplines or these jobs don't speak to you at all, then, then I hope some of the skills and takeaways I mentioned earlier can really help you gain some confidence in asking professionals about their experiences and helping you forge your own path forward in this world because at least most of this audience base, we're, we're reaching that age where our life is really in our own hands now. More than ever, COVID has taught me that there's a lot we can't control in life, unfortunately, but also we should really start prioritizing what we can control and chasing those things. You never really know where you may end up if you start chasing down roads and chasing those dreams, but I would say never ever be afraid to take off running down a street that might be a dead end. Because if you feel inclined, if you feel that gut feeling or you hear a deity telling you, Emma, quit your job at Subway and study interior design or something like that, I, I, I think you should do it. I think you should follow your dreams. 2020 has shown us a lot and let's let it show us that we can dictate our own future. Not some virus, not police brutality, and surely not that guy in the White House if he's still there that just won't leave. We control our future. We're only limited by how high we fly, how vividly we can dream and how deep we can really dig for our goals. This has been More About More. My name is Ben Randall. Thank you and stay safe.